folks. Hope you're doing well on this Monday morning. It's the summer. It's 60 days of summer. I'm Maniac, joined by our co-hosts here, Nick Lovin, Long Island Nick, now uh, Amherst Nick, I guess you could say, and of course, Joe Kahn's. Gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? Doing great. Yeah, just, you know, it's, uh, it's another week of baseball's past, and couldn't be happier. You can see the smile on my face. Baseball's back and couldn't ask for anything better. Couldn't have said it matter myself, Cons. Of course, we're on the show 60 days of summer, a very special baseball season this year due to the COVID restrictions. So 60 days of games and it's 60 days of summer for us. Um, you might be wondering, you know, who are these gentlemen? Obviously, Nick, you were over at uh, my apartment for the debut game. Tell us a little bit, Nick. We, we talked a little bit about then how you became a huge Yankees fan. Yeah, um, you know, as a kid, I grew up on Long Island. Um, you know, I went to a bunch of Yankees games as a kid. Uh, two, three years old, had a Yankee hat on, had a bat in my hand. I played ball my entire life. Um, and just really grew up with that 90s Yankees team that kind of cemented, you know, my fanhood. Um, saw a lot of good games in the Bronx. Went to a couple games at Shea where the Yankees beat up on their uh, their little brothers. Um, and just ever since have been just diehard as – you know, as die as die hard as you could be, I feel like as a Yankees fan. Um, you know, taking that four train in and just uh, enjoying ball games. And like you said, now I'm in Buffalo, but still bleed pinstripe blue. And cons, obviously, you're somewhat of a newcomer to train rock sports, but if we go way back, you were actually on train rock tonight. Now it's almost two years ago. Um, tell us a little bit about you know how you became a baseball fan and your Yankee allegiance. So I was born into it. Um, when I was probably five or six years old, my uh, my grandfather, uh, Tom, he uh, put me in front of the TV, you know, with him and uh, taught me the game that he loved through the New York Yankees. Um, you know, I think growing up, you know, my family was big into baseball. Uh, my uncle Rick, give him the shout out, was a professional softball player in Rochester, New York for the Rochester Zeniths. Guy just hit nukes every game. <laughs> um, and uh you know, I think every single person in my, you know, on my mom's side of the family at least played college baseball. Um, you know, I played college baseball for, for a couple months at MCC before I hurt my shoulder. And, you know, baseball is what we eat, sleep, and breathe. Um, but the big thing is the New York Yankees. I can remember, um, you know, the 96 World Series and everything that came with it and just um, wanting to lead like Derek Jeter. You know, I bring up Derek Jeter a lot, but, um, you know, all I remember growing up was Derek Jeter's jump leap throw. Um, I remember Derek Jeter jumping into the stands against the Red Sox on that hot summer and, you know, the hot summer night in July. Um, you know, that just made me fall in love with the game even more. And, um, you know, we, watching the Red Sox and Yankees, you know, even this season still brings back those, those brawls that we've seen. And, um, you know, I, that's just how I came into it. It was just my family. I had no choice. Baseball was all I knew growing up. No doubt about it. I think there's a warm, fuzzy feeling in all of us, and that feeling is that baseball is back. Stay tuned for this 60 Days of Summer series. We're going to be going throughout the season. We're Obviously, we're starting with three Yankees fans here, myself included, but we're going to be including producer Burrs, some Indians fans, and a whole lot of variety along the way. And I think that's the best way to sum up this season is variety because we're getting a lot of, even though baseball is back, stuff that maybe we're not used to or stuff that we maybe expect out of the season. Let's start with Nick, and then we'll go to UConn's. What's the one thing that's happened in this first 10 days, 10 days of summer, that's maybe surprised you the most about this baseball season? You know, I mean, one thing, I guess it's going to be an individual-based. Um, 
you know, I really thought Shoei Otani was going to come off that Tommy John surgery a little stronger. Um, after what he did last night, and he went, I think, one and two-thirds innings, five walks, gave up a couple runs, and then not even getting an out in his first outing, uh, you know, back at the end of July. Um, not what I'm expecting from someone that's honestly all – he's all over the zone. He's usually right, you know, on the corners. He's all over that square. So – the fact that he's not actually hitting spots, and when he does hit spots, he's getting smoked. Um, I think he's got like a 38 ERA right now, and I know it's only two games in, but that's not really telling of what he did before he had Tommy John surgery. So that's really shocking to me. I mean, the guy could he could hit in his sleep. I'm not really going to be – I'm not worried about that, but kind of worried about his pitching career at this point. Hey, that's a fair concern. It doesn't matter how many appearances you've had. If you're a starting pitcher, a double-digit ERA, no bueno. Cons, what's caught you off so? Uh, what's caught you off guard so far with this season? Honestly, I, I know, I know it's just his first start, but the hype is real. Nate Pearson of the Toronto Blue Jays is an absolute monster. Um, I don't know if anyone caught his debut uh, against the defending champion Washington Nationals, but just two hits over five scoreless innings. He struck out five batters while walking two. I mean, it's just amazing to see you know, the number one prospect of the Blue Jays organization, so young with so much confidence. I mean, you're talking about a guy who in the first inning was topping out at 96.8 miles an hour and then 98 plus in the second inning. And it was just a nightmare to watch the Nationals. They not only struggled to track the fastball, but they froze at the very sharp, uh, sharp side of that sharp cutting slider. And then he was just letting, you know, letting that curveball go for 77 miles an hour. I mean, I was so fired up. I've gotten chills only a couple times in my life. One was when uh, Jim Helford and Pam Beasley from the office finally got together. The other was Nate Pearson's debut. So, you know, the Blue Jays went on to lose that game 4 nothing. but the biggest surprise for me was just how young Pearson is and how much confidence he has. And I'm just excited for, you know, Pearson moving forward. And it was the perfect kind of little mini tidbit of baseball being back to a young po prospect dueling against a guy like Scherzer. An incredible game. I don't know who the Toronto Blue Jays are. I mean, I know who the Buffalo Blue Jays are, Cons. We'll get to that in a bit. And obviously, why that happened and why this whole season happened, why it's only 60 days of summer, unfortunately, the coronavirus. So it was a delay. They eventually got things going. Um, but, you know, guys, COVID's already rearing its head on this season. And it's already affecting, you know, the day-to-day -day of the game. Um, we'll get to the delays in a second uh, with the Miami Marlins. But now you're seeing individual players just opting out, players who were going to be involved this season, but deciding that they're seeing the day-to-day -day of it and they don't want to be. Um, what's your guys' take on that? I mean, you have like guys like Lorenzo Cain, uh, Yanis Cespedes this past weekend. What is your take? Because obviously I don't think any of us fault these athletes or these individuals for making this decision. But just what's your take on, you know, them starting to play and then deciding against it, I guess? Yeah, I, I think that um, this was something that we kind of expected as baseball fans that since baseball was the first one to kind of get going with their season, that our, all eyes were going to be on them as far as how they were going to track it, how they were going to, you know, quarantine players and you were going to miss some of those star players. You know, even Mike Trout's been very vocal about he was undecided if he was going to come back or not. Um, you know, and it, and it was kind of pushing me towards thinking like, oh, man, are we really going to get through this? Is Manfred really going to start the season and then stop it? And then you see just a lot of things going on in the first couple, um, you know, weeks of the season. You're like, oh, no, I, I don't know what's going to happen. But um, it's kind of scary to think that 
you know, this, this, can, this can travel so quickly in such a short period of time. You know, we're talking about already the Yankees lost a series against the Phillies um, because of, you know, trial and error, if you, if, you know, you might say. So um, I can certainly understand players wanting to opt out. Opt out. Uh, Nick Markakis opted back in for the Braves. And I think that's interesting too. But, um, I mean, I think there's other guys waiting in the wings ready to play, which I think is really cool that they're storing these minor league players to kind of come up and fill in those voids. And obviously, health is no joke, but Nick P, you get a guy like Yenis, he opts out after the Mets are on a four or five game skid. Is he allowed to just opt in if they go on a 10 game winning streak? I mean, what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's tough, man. I mean, you know what, with someone like Cespedes, it's always been like a, it's always been a question mark with the guy, you know, I mean, he's a hot dog in the field, you know, he does all his things off the field. And then obviously he's got big injury issues. So I think if you're running a ball club and this guy opts out in the beginning of the season, when the team is at its lowest, I mean, as a manager, I don't know if I want to let this guy play again. If 10, in 10 games from now, they, they ring off, you know, eight out of 10 and they win eight out of 10 games and Cespedes all of a sudden wants to play ball again. I think I tell him to keep packing, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I get it. I get his concern. You know, I get it. You know, if it's, if it's truly COVID related, I'm on his side hundred percent, you know, and like you said, cons, I mean, if someone like Mike Trout, who is face of baseball and is trying to cement a legacy as maybe the best player ever potentially is thinking about not playing, it shows you that, you know, that, that it's obviously more important than baseball, but if Cespedes is doing this for his own personal type of game, not, not a fan of that at all. Most definitely. We continue to see, COVID, you know, affecting the schedule. So, like you alluded to, Kanza, the Phillies were forced to miss a bunch of games after they had the Marlins play there, and then they had the outbreak uh, about of a, you know, 10 to 20 uh, Marlins players and staff uh, testing positive for COVID. So now we kind of have these double headers, these seven inning double headers. The uh, Reds and Tigers played one Sunday. Um, I mean, just go starting with Nick P. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, because obviously they've shortened it to 60 games. I think we're all a little bit excited about that because it was the constant the constant argument someone who doesn't like baseball will make. One of the first ones is there's too many games. So 60 right. games kind of solved that. But now for the true purists, it's kind of – I mean, I will say I'll, I'll lead it off. I think it's a little bothersome to me that they're playing seven innings. It definitely changes the entire scape of what a baseball game is for sure. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean – you know, I, I was playing seven inning double headers when I was 16 years old. So to see these grown men that are getting paid millions of dollars playing a seven inning game, I kind of feel like we're getting ripped off a little bit. But, you know, to your point, if you told me two years ago that 2020 was going to have a 60 game season, I'd be upset. The fact that we're watching baseball right now kind of puts it into perspective that, you know, at the end of the day, some baseball is better than none. Of course, I want to see nine inning games, but I do want to see a full 60 game season as well. So at this point, whatever they need to do to get it done. Like you said, though, the purist in me wants nine-inning baseball. It's a, it's a tough one. Cons, your thoughts? Yeah, so I, I got to agree, you know, with, with, uh, with Nick on this one. I mean, it, it's, you know, we love that baseball is back. I love that there's a 60-game season for, for the reason of seeing these managers mix and match their pitchers, and it's almost like a chess match every game. That's great. But, I mean, from a purist baseball standpoint, um, it's kind of like you're hitting fast forward on the season almost. And with 60 games in a season, if a guy goes down, that's important to your lineup. Well, he doesn't have the additional hundred games to recover from that. 
When he's out, he's out. I mean, think about like um, Trevor Bauer and, um, you know, uh, these guys like just, uh, Justin Verlander that, you know, they're, they're getting injured early on. I mean, now those aces or those anchors of those pitching staffs are out for 10, 12 games. I mean, that cuts into a good portion of your season. So from a baseball standpoint, for me, it's infuriating, you know, the fact that, we, you know, it's exciting we get to watch these games, but it's infuriating because one injury could cost you your whole season, depending upon what position it is and how important it is. And I said early on, um, you know, in, in another, uh, you know, show that I was on, Buster Posey, he's not playing. He's the glue that holds that locker room together. Other guys have to step up. What's baseball in San Francisco without Buster Posey? It's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without the peanut butter. <laughs> That's what it is for me, you know? That is fair. It's just a, it's just a Hunter Pensapalooza now. Two days of summer, obviously brought to you by Pazda Electric. Folks, if you're considering a residential or commercial electrical project, or you just have some questions, give Pazda Electric a call at 716-698-2711. And then just wrapping, bringing everything full circle with the baseball purists. I got to talk to you guys about this before we get into the uh, team and individual storylines. Extra innings rule. Who, who has some thoughts on that and how angry are they about it? <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, I feel like all three of us. Are let me let me let me let me take it. Let me jump in real quick before you guys go. I think it's very exciting. I think that if you're a very casual to a lower level baseball fan, you love it. I think that the purists and all of us hate it. And I would say my quick solution so that I get what they're doing. You don't want to have a 17 in a game when you've got 60 games in 66 days, but. Yeah maybe move that runner to first for the 10th inning and then at the 11th inning you can move him to second because I just feel like the runner starting on second it's like at MLB that's way too basic of like a way to score to be honest I think the scoring is way too plentiful at that point yeah I agree I, I agree 100% I mean at the end of the day you're talking about putting a runner in scoring position I mean the percentages of scoring with a runner in scoring position with no outs is tremendous. So Unless you're the New York Mets. <laughs> I was just, I was literally going to say, I mean, first and third, a couple times today with no, uh, yesterday, a couple times with first and third and no outs and they couldn't get it done, but you're right. Um, but you're seeing a lot of different strategy now. I mean, you're seeing the lead off, the lead off hitter. Well, you know, whatever you want to call the hitter, I guess he is a lead off hitter dropping down a bunt being intentionally walked. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. And I think there was, I want to say the Royals game where someone scored in extra innings and there wasn't even a, 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 an at-bat or an out. Or, no, there wasn't an at-bat, which is insane to think about. So you're seeing things right now that are just – it's not baseball after, ninth, after the ninth inning, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I'm all about strategy in baseball, but if I wanted to watch something like this, I'd watch college football. I mean, that's like – I just feel like – you have to earn your spot on the base path. That's the whole point of baseball is to get people on and score. <laughs> and just giving them a freebie and extra innings, I mean, this is going to come across harsh, but if you think baseball games are too long, I mean, that's, that's the game. That's what it is. It's a waiting game. That's, that's the best. You know, it's the same thing with chess. Chess is a waiting game. That's baseball. So um, I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, I think the game needs to speed up for sure. But, you know, the extra inning thing for me, it's too gimmicky for me. It just doesn't feel like authentic baseball. It does feel like they tried to turn baseball into like a amusement park almost with that extra. They're trying to re replicate the NHL shootout 
But yeah, I would say if I could make a quick change, if Manfred could somehow make an executive order, I would move the runner to first in the 10th inning, and then in the 11th inning, I would move him to second. You don't have to move him to first permanently, but let's at least make it an extra inning because, yeah, a bloop single off your top reliever shouldn't score a run. Like, let's just face it. That should not score a run. That should not be the way you lose a game. But we are going to keep moving on. We got actual storylines. This is the best part. We're talking about the COVID. We're talking about the politics. We're talking about Mike Trout maybe, like, you know, not wanting to play. And that's all terrible. That's all terrible. But we have actual baseball. We have actual storylines. And it is great. My first take, I got to tell you guys, I, I wrote this in the rundown. I don't know your guys' thoughts on this, so I will introduce it. Regular season baseball to me, and I said this going in, 0% difference with no fans. 0% difference with no fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I'd agree with you on that because baseball is baseball no matter where, what way you spin it. Grab a ball, a bat, and a glove, and you can play at Cuomo Park in Depew if you wanted to. You know, go play wherever you want. It's baseball. Uh, you know, if you're a great baseball player that you can block out, you know, the noise and the fans, I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is. So I agree. I, it hasn't really been too different for me except for, like, when there's a fly ball, you know, that's <laughs> going to hit the warning track, and, like, they pump that fake audio in where it's like, Ah, but like other than that, it doesn't really bother me. I don't really pay attention to the fans too much when I'm watching it live on TV. Yeah, I think I think Kanji hit the nail on the head. I think what you're not seeing is the casual baseball fans at the park that are cheering a fly ball that think it's going to be a home run. Mm -hmm. um, but like you said, I mean, if you're a ball player and you're a good ball player, you can play in anything. I think where it's going to make a difference is at Yankee Stadium in October. I think that's where we're going to see a big difference. And I think that's when you're going to say that the fans not playing is going to make a big change in the game because, I mean, that, that atmosphere in the Bronx is ruckus. So, I mean, to, to not have, you know, the bleacher creatures just having beer showers after every home run and just the, the place shaking, that's going to be tough. But reg regular season baseball, it's kind of going as, as normal. I agree. Come October, you're definitely going to see uh, what we're missing out on. Speaking of missing out on, uh, speaking of, you know, but baseball fans have felt like we got the, the short end of the stick. No, no season for April, May, or June. One group that was very happy about that. One group that thought they got away with it. One group that felt very lucky about that delayed start, the Houston Astros. Everyone, oh my God, February and March was like, it was just villainous. Everyone was on the Astros. Everyone couldn't wait for these games to start. These guys are going to get pelted. And then instead, you have the delay. No baseball, April, May, June. It starts out a little slow. They're not exactly getting pelt. And then comes the man with the double first name, Joe Kelly. Guys, what are your thoughts on this? Because I would always talk to my roommate, Max, who was a baseball player in college. And he, whenever someone would throw at someone, I always said, if they were smart to disguise it, they would just throw off speed. Like, because nobody ever throws at anybody off speed. Joe Kelly pulls that move, and next thing you know, he's suspended for, you know, half a century. Give me your guys' <laughs> thoughts on Joe Kelly, the reaction, the – what's going on there? So, I mean, I'm sure Cons will agree with this. I hated Joe Kelly. I hated him. When he was with the Red Sox, I couldn't stand him. And especially with the brawl with him and Tyler Austin, I mean, that kind of cemented my hatred for him. I, I don't think it's – probably the last time this has happened was when Roger Clemens came to the Yankees. That was the one time where I went from hating someone to loving them in the blink of an eye. What I saw from Joe Kelly was just, it was beautiful. Like you said, breaking balls. But the fact that he got suspended for what you said, a 
you know, it's a half a century. I mean, what is it, 24 games when it's really, you know, I mean, when you actually add it up, it's, it's insane. I, you know, Conj, you could, you could, you know, delve in a little deeper, but I love Joe Kelly. Love him. So, yeah, Nick, I think, I think you kind of touched base on it, but, you know, when Joe Kelly was a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, they coined, they coined the term the Joe Kelly Fight Club. And, you know, Maniac, I mean, what, what's the first rule of Fight Club? You don't talk about Fight Club, right? <laughs> but when it comes to Joe Kelly, that's all baseball fans are talking about right now. Um, I think the cool thing about it was, uh, you know, having, having been a catcher, uh, you know, back, back in high school, you know, if I made a bad call, uh, if we wanted to send a message, I ducked on a fastball. Uh, you know, a lot of people see that as a dirty thing, but it's it's the way that you police the game. You know, if we really think you're not calling a good game, I'm going to duck on a fastball, and you're going to get hit, and then the next time you're not going to make that bad call. So this is Joe Kelly saying, Manfred, you didn't do your job. We're going to do it for you. And he just launches a 96-mile-an-hour fastball right above Alex Bregman, which to me, it just, it just oh, my gosh, my heart was just so warm seeing that. But, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, – Joe Kelly is is the hero right now in Los Angeles because you have to remember that 2017 run by the Astros, they took that World Series title right away from the Dodgers. So Joe Kelly is now the hero in LA, and um, you know I think he'll I think he'll appeal that suspension. But it sounds to me it, maybe he already had, um, but it sounds to me like the MLB is going based off that Red Sox brawl that he is a repeat offender and he's hot headed. But uh, you know I, I I hated Joe Kelly when he was at the Red Sox, but I got to be honest with you, Tyler Austin's not a Yankee anymore. Um, right. You know, I, I have no loyalties anymore to Tyler Austin. So Joe Kelly's like, he's my guy right now. I, I, I enjoy, I enjoyed every minute of it. <laughs> hey, I can't, I a hundred percent agree with you guys. Just like in Greek mythology, Helen of Troy had a face that launched a thousand ships. Joe Kelly's face launched a thousand. <laughs> we did it. Now, real quick, before we move on from this guys, obviously, like we say, he's suspended, you know, the equivalent of what 20 plus games. You're right. Manfred kind of put the, the players in this position. He didn't properly discipline the Astros for cheating, which they got caught. Everyone uh, on Twitter, the Joe Kelly getting suspended longer than any other any Astros player did for cheating. If you were Manfred, if you were the disciplinary committee, real quick for both of you, what would, how would you have treated this situation? Because I don't think you could have let it go. You cannot just let it go. Even though in the history of baseball, nobody's ever been suspended for not hitting a batter. You know, obviously, I, I think me. I, if it was me, I would have gone five games. I would have gone five games. I, I just think the, you know, the nine is a little harsh. Yeah, I mean, oh, go, go ahead, Tom. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're talking, talking about Joe Kelly's suspension, right? Yes. Going a little heavy right. on that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I don't think, I mean, we all knew what Kelly was, was doing. I mean, no yeah. matter what Dave Roberts, manager of Los Angeles, says, oh, sometimes he loses control. And then the video comes out of Joe Kelly throwing a changeup through his house window. Like, oh, he sometimes loses control. We know what Joe Kelly was doing. With that being said, though, I think Manfred has to ease up a little bit. I agree with like a four or five game suspension, maybe just to cool it down. But how about the umpires? No warnings, nothing whatsoever. I mean, if your umpires who are there to police the game aren't doing anything, what's that saying about your league? Are they in agreement with what's going on? Or did they not actually think that he was trying to hit, you know, Correa and Bregman? So I think maybe Manfred needs to sit down with his staff. The umpires send out a letter saying, look, guys, like if they're throwing anywhere near a hand, a head, anything like that, automatic warning. But other than that, nothing was said. No warnings were given. Don't think a suspension warranted, in my opinion. 
So I think maybe a four or five game, if you're going to do it, would be would be a little bit more than you know helpful than an eight game, especially for the the relief pitching uh, staff for the Dodgers. You know, I mean, they need him. They paid him a lot of money. So. Uh-oh, someone, someone better call Terry Collins because I think Collins wants the umpire's ass in the jackpot on this one. So we'll see. We'll see if the umpires uh, step in in the future because something tells me that despite this, Joe Kelly will not be the last pitcher to throw at an Astros batter this I hope not. season. Speaking <laughs> of pitching, last year I had the absolute pleasure of attending the Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game in Cleveland. Cleveland has had great pitching for years, but last year they were chanting for a pitcher during the all-star game. Was it Corey Kluber? No. Was it Mike Clevenger? No. I'm, I'm in there in the fifth inning of the all-star game and the fans are going nuts chanting Bieber, Bieber, Bieber. And little do they know that it was not much to do about nothing. This guy is an absolute fireballer stud. To talk about this start. Talk about this. Two, obviously, we're only 10, ga- 10 days in to the 60 days of summer. But, I mean, my goodness, what a start for Bieber fever in Cleveland, gentlemen. Yeah, Nick, yeah. I, I got a lot to say about this guy because he's on my fantasy baseball team. Oh, yeah. So I, I, you know, I just um, – in just two starts, he leads the American League with 27 strikeouts, 13 against the Twins on Thursday – and then 14 against the Royals in the season opener. Those 27 strikeouts in two outings matched a 1954 MLB record set by Carl Spooner, the, Brook- the Brooklyn Dodgers. Not the L.A. Dodgers, the Brooklyn Dodgers. I was wondering when that was going to fall. <laughs> and he's also the first pitcher in MLB history to have 13-plus strikeouts and zero runs allowed in back-to-back starts. Okay, so this guy – is a driving force behind the starting rotation because now you look at the, the, the Cleveland Indians rotation and they're the first team since 1901 to have four 10 plus strikeout outings from their staff in the first seven games of the season. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, are we going to be talking about Bieber in the AL Cy Young award running this year? I, I think so right now. It's only been two starts, but does he, he show any signs of stopping? Yeah. You're spot, you're spot on cons. I mean, you know, take the Royals for what they are at face value. They're still a big league ball club, but the Twins are one of the most dangerous ball clubs offensively in the league. To be able to do what he did, 13 strikeouts, it's special. Um, we're seeing something in Cleveland right now that is special. It really is. I mean, this guy is pitching as good as you've seen in a two-game stretch. And like you said, we're only a few games in, but what he has right now is lights-out stuff. And the Cy Young has got to be his for the taking at this point early on. And I know it sounds weird to talk about it two games in or, you know, two wins in, but that's the season we're playing with 60 games right now. You got to really talk about it after every win. So. Like and Damon to wear down. Oh, 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 my goodness. That was, that was somebody, I mean, as much as I would love to have Alex Rodriguez on the podcast, unfortunately, we will not be doing that on episode number one. But, yes, Bieber with a strong start to the season. Not surprising, obviously, Cleveland has had, like we said, that wealth of pitching. Clearly has to play in a little bit to the coaching there uh, as well. And you alluded to it earlier in the show, Nick, not so much a strong start for Shohei Otani. Not at all. Um, I'm surprised of what I've seen from him. Um, you know, like, like I was talking about a little bit earlier, that guy was a painter on the mound. You know I mean? He was 
on the black, at the knees, top of the strike zone. I mean, he was commanding that zone until he got, you know, his injury, unfortunately. Um, you know he could hit in his sleep. The offensive thing, he'll be fine. But the pitching worries me. Tommy John surgery is something that is becoming very normal for a baseball player to have, and it's usually without side effects. Um, you know, I mean, 20 years ago, when someone had Tommy John, it was a, it was a toss-up. I mean, it, was, it might even been worse than a toss-up at that point. Way, way but, worse than a toss-up, for sure. Babin. Absolutely. Yeah, like you said, it was basically, I would say, 25% or worse that they were ever going to get back to that point in the career they were. 100%. And, I mean, now pitchers come back throwing harder. They come back. It, it's, it's, it's insane where we've gone with that surgery. But to see what I'm seeing from Shohei Otani, that's not him. And he's also not a guy that really doesn't do – like, he does well under pressure. And, I mean, there's nothing to feed off of in the crowd. There's no real pressure coming from the stands. So I'm a little surprised at what I've seen. I know we're only two games in, but it's worrisome. If I'm an Angels fan, if I'm in the organization, I'm a little worried because you have yourself tied up to this guy to be a starter in your rotation along with his offensive uh, skills. So it's tough. No doubt about that. And as we rock along, speaking of rocking along, Yankees off to a strong start this season. Obviously, uh, It'll be we'll, we'll have to see what happens in the Sunday night game, but obviously a strong last week for them uh, in this shortened season. Does that surprise you? Does that what you guys expected from the Yankees? I mean, obviously they are World Series favorites. Like they're not fooling anyone. They were the favorite to win the World Series, but I mean, even in years where they've won this World Series, sometimes they've gotten off to slow starts. I mean, we, I mean, you guys were big fans in '98. You remember '98? It was one of the worser starts in uh, franchise history for an eventually successful team. Um, so just talk to me about this start. What surprised you specifically with the Yankees and maybe what you're looking ahead to in the weeks to come? I think the surprising thing for me, and, and, you know, I know the Yankees have been all about the long ball, you know, historically, but I mean, they're scoring majority of their runs on home runs. I mean, Aaron Judge is on fire. Uh, you know, I, what is it? I think he has what five five home runs in five games. Oh yeah, five, five, home runs in five, five games. for five. And yeah, and I mean, he's not. And the cool thing about Aaron Judge is usually we see him chasing a lot of pitches out of the zone. And those five home runs he's hit in five games, he's not wasting any time at the plate. If he sees a pitch, he's going after it with a lot of you know power. But I think the biggest surprise for me with the Yankees is Gio Rochella. I mean, what a what a diamond in the rough to find. You know, he comes on strong, he's hitting here, he's hitting there. But then last night he hits, he just pops out a grand slam, no problem. Right. It's unbelievable to see this guy blossom into, uh, into a great role player for the Yankees. Uh, I mean, he's a key, key contributor now. He's a third baseman. He's pushed Andujar, who was out last year with an injury. He's pushed him out of the lineup. They can't even find a spot for Andujar now because Gio Urshela is on fire and he doesn't commit any errors, and that's the biggest problem with Andujar. But I think the biggest surprise for me with this team um, you know, we know they're favorites, but Gio Urshela is the biggest surprise for me. I thought maybe last year was a little bit of a fluke. I might be crazy saying that, but to see him come on so strong at the beginning of the year, I think it's it's a good sign for the Yankees, believe me. I'm with you, Cons. Uh, Urshela is looking every bit as good as he was last year, and, I mean, he's been dazzling in the field. You knew what you got with his glove, uh, but the bat is special, too. Um, he's really doing well. Um, at the plate. I think something that's surprising to me is, I mean, of course, Judge is going to be chasing. I hope he chases Mattingly's eight home run streak uh, from 1987. That was obviously special, a little before our time, but at the end of the day, something special. Um, 
especially because he's probably going to be the next captain as well. I mean, let's face it. But at the end of the day, Giancarlo Stanton is really having some good at bats. Um, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of good stuff from Stanton. I mean, I'm seeing him take pitches with a purpose. And you both know because you both have played baseball, there's a way to take pitches. And when you take pitches and you're in a hitting stance and you're actually in a position to hit the ball and you take it athletically, it looks a lot different than when you're just up there looking to take a pitch. So to see him up there taking pitches, the way he's taking pitches, I mean, pitches that are borderline, getting the calls, and then putting good wood on, his, on, on the ones that he's actually going for, uh, he's got a little bit more of a selective zone right now that he's swinging at, and he's hammering the ball. So that's, that's my big surprise right now. No doubt about it. And, I mean, obviously, I don't think the winning is surprising, but maybe the way – They've done it, A, with the long ball, like you guys said, and a couple of comeback wins along the way. A couple of Maryland-based comeback wins. I believe uh, last Saturday uh, they were down, what, 3 nothing to the Nationals in the 6th of the 7th. And then, of course, the big comeback this past week uh, against the Baltimore Orioles when it seemed like all was said and done. But let's face it, unless the Yankees win in Baltimore, it's not all said and done, and you don't know where they're going. And I want to say, the thing about Gio Urshela to me that's awesome is uh, – you know, throughout all of our Yankee fans, I think we've seen a couple of one-year wonders or even one- or two-month wonders. If you get into Shane the Spencer. Chad Curtises, the Shane Spencers, the Shelly Duncan. Shelly Duncan, of <laughs> course, no doubt about it. You get these guys who have these great times just like Urshela had last year, and then they come the next year and they're a 240 hitter. They're going down to AAA or whatever, but it does not seem that way with Urshela. It seems like whatever happened when he became a Yankee is continuing to click and he's continuing to prosper there um obviously the season rolling on guys i mean i will say i don't know if you guys have any specific examples but i definitely like forgot that certain players were on certain teams uh things like that i don't know if you guys have any examples uh but the one thing that i think we're all looking forward to in our own way buffalo blue jays yeah i mean it's 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 pretty amazing that uh that there's a big league ball club 10 miles away from my house um you know, it's it's really it's really special. I think it's good for the city. I mean, I know obviously we can't go to the games and whatnot, but the city seemed to come behind this decision, and it was actually really cool to see. You know, people that don't even really like you like you said, Conj, you got your casual baseball fans, and then you got people that don't really watch baseball at all, and they were all really behind this decision. So I think it really brought the city together, and I think you're going to get more people interested in baseball, and you might turn people into Blue Jays fans which in my opinion is good for the game. If they weren't watching baseball and now they have a team, it's great. Yeah, I, but before I get into my Buffalo Blue Jays talk, which I'm sorry, I misspoke early by calling them the Toronto Blue Jays. I forget sometimes. <laughs> kind of like when we talk about the San Diego Chargers, but they're the Los Angeles Chargers. <laughs> you talk about tracking players. I mean, I knew Anthony Randone was on the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Um, but uh, – I did, it didn't dawn on me until the other day when they said, Randone's up to the plate. And I'm like, oh, are the Nationals on? And I'm like, oh, wait, oh, he's hitting behind Mike Trout. Like, and then I looked at the lineup and I'm like, this team should be doing a lot better than they are right now. And it was just amazing for me to finally like wake up and realize baseball's here and I should probably start looking up who moved where. Um, but kind of to go back to that uh, Buffalo Blue Jays uh, uh, discussion, I agree. I, I got to be honest, I was really mad um, just – when the initial thought was not to come, you know, the discussions were to come to Buffalo, but they're saying, I don't know, the facilities aren't that great. We're going to call around. We're going to call around. We're going to call around. And that's like, no, you have to play in Buffalo. And then finally it was just like, 
why not? I mean, it's your, it's the best thing you can do marketing wise. It's the best thing you can do to turn casual fans into baseball fans. Um, we don't have a basketball team here in Buffalo. That's still another question that I have. I don't understand with all the history with Western New York basketball. If you don't know, I'll have a talk with any of you any day about it. Um, but when, as far as baseball goes, it's smart. It makes sense. The farm team plays there. Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, they all came up through the system. People were fans of that team. It's an exciting time to, to be a Buffalo sports fan with hopefully the NFL season happening. This was just a great gift for the city of Buffalo who cherish, cherishes every sports team, no matter how angry we get at them all the time. We're always there to support teams with the name Buffalo in front. No one will ever care about as our teams as much as you do. And you guys said exactly. The fact that they were considering not playing these games in Buffalo, I get it. It was frustrating for sure. But this was a no-brainer. I mean, you play the AAA games here. If you want to build any Blue Jays, you know, fanhood, any fans here, the only way you're going to do it is by getting that big league club to play in Buffalo. I'm very hopeful that this will work out. I'm very hopeful that eventually it'll lead to maybe one or two series throughout the year in Buffalo. Uh, very optimistic for that. And gentlemen, I know obviously you guys want to see the games. I know we want to see our Yankees. I won't go on too much because the announcement's still coming out this week, but something tells me we will be able to see the New York Yankees live this season in Buffalo. So definitely stay tuned for that. And obviously stay tuned for more episodes of 60 Days of Summer. I mean, because we're not going anywhere. And like I said, we're going to be bringing on producer Burrs, Braves fans, and of course fans from all across the league as this crazy summer, this crazy season continues on. Gents, I mean, this was this was nothing. I can't believe we knocked this out so quick. Any, any thoughts as, uh, as we uh, head down the uh, seventh inning stretch here? You know, some, something real quick. I just wanted to bring up Yankees one more time. I mean, I know, you know, that's what I do. You can't help yourself. I can't help myself. <laughs> um, I'm a little worried about Paxton. A little worried about his velocity right now. Um, this is a guy that throws consistently over 96. I think he was the hardest throwing left-handed pitcher last year. Um, to see him throwing 91, 92, and, I mean, he got hit hard. So, a uh, little concerned about him. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm sure Cons is feeling the same way, Zach. I'm sorry, Maniac, I'm sure you're feeling the same way as well. Yeah, I mean, my biggest concern is I'm waiting for my phone to ring. I'm waiting for the Yankees to call me to, to take Gary Sanchez's spot. Uh, I got to be honest <laughs> with you, man. Um, the Kraken, where is he? Is he drowning? I mean, the guy swings every pitch out of his shoes. Gary, if you're listening to this, which you're probably not, stay right center, drive with your front front shoulder, and drive the ball to right field. You don't need a home run every time. You are not making contact. You got a hit, got a hit recently, but I think he's like two for 20. We got to get out of that because there's a lot of time and money invested in Gary Sanchez right now, and it's not panning out. So I don't know what to do, but Gary, step it up. You were to hear first. No doubt. He needs to step it up. That's that's Nick Lovins, L. L. Gary. As we move on, so we're coming on to the end of the thing, we, or the end of the first episode of 60 Days of Summer. Let's go into extra innings. We got extra innings. We're all going to make one prediction for this time, relatively next week for the MLB. I will kick it off. I will kick it off. I will say the prediction that by this time next week, which will be approximately 16, 16 and a half days into the season, if you count the, uh, the opening night when basically four teams played, one player will have at least 10 dingers. We got two players at five, 
right now. I think that over the next week, one of the guys with four, one of the guys with five is going to have another hot week. And I think we're going to have a guy with double digit dingers, basically at the equivalent of April 17th, April 18th in a typical season. I'm, I'm going to go Aaron judge will be the first to 10. Uh, he'll get to 10 by next Sunday night. And he's going to get to eight games straight. He's going to have eight games straight with, a, with home runs. And then he's going to hit two in a game after his break. So it's going to be one of those Joe DiMaggio situations where he goes on another tear okay. after the, after the streak and puts another 34 games together. So I'm, I'm thinking that judge is going to get to 10 first and he's going to get to it quicker than we've ever seen before. Well, maybe not ever seen before, but we're going to get there quick. <laughs> it's going to feel quicker than we've ever right. seen before. Right. <laughs> no doubt about it. All right, Cons, lay it on me. What do you got? What do I got? Um, I think that Shane Bieber is going to hit 50 strikeouts maybe by the end of by the by the mid mid August. So within four starts basically. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That would be insane. Yeah, that would yeah. be an average of 13 strikeouts per so he had 14, 13 to maintain that pace. He would basically need 13 and 13 as I said, but based on his stuff, it's definitely possible. Yeah, who's hitting him? I mean, right, prove me wrong, MLB. Until you can hit Beaver, it's Beaver Fever over Beaver Fever over here and Kanzi singing baby 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 oh mid-August. Oh my gosh, I didn't know you had such a heavenly voice. <laughs> yeah, wow. And folks, if you want more heavenly content, make sure you subscribe to Trainwreck Sports and stay tuned for the next episode of 60 Days of Summer. Huge shout out to Cons. Huge shout out to Nick Levin for joining me. And as you know, folks, it's when it comes to this season, when it comes to any season of America's pastime, it's just three words. Let's play... Yeah ball.